welcome to Sound Medicine, mantras and music podcast, where you will hear from various healers, musicians, visionaries, and educators. Get ready to experience transformational and inspiring storytelling, songs, chants, and interviews that will uplift your spirits, mood, and health. Hello, I'm Gio, the host of Sound Medicine, Mantras, and Music. We have a very special guest musician with us today, Kevin James, whom I had to track down from halfway across the world while he was on tour. I found Kevin to be very warm, approachable, with a huge heart. Many years ago, Kevin sold all his belongings to live a nomadic life with purpose, having a mission to share heart songs and mantras with communities worldwide, calling these chanting circles. These circles are open to everyone, regardless of religion and beliefs. The chanting circles are free and open space to sing and enjoy yourself, to pray and to build community without sectarianism, ultimately helping people to feel more connected. There could not be a better time for this type of service and work. It's so needed right now. The chanting circles embraces some sacred chants, mantras from different religions, teachings, and cultures from around the world in a non-denominational way. Kevin is a beautiful man with a vision based on connecting people to the nature of music. This interview is full of wisdom stories from a very kind human being changing the world through music. Enjoy the interview, which took place while I was in San Diego and he was halfway across the world in Australia. So happy to introduce you to world-class musician and community leader, Kevin James. So Kevin, it's really honestly wonderful to have you here. And um, the first time that I came across your work was actually funny enough through Facebook where there was an advertisement for you playing here in San Diego and they the event was was introduced as a world fusion of chanting ancient mantras with heart songs and that just spoke to me uh, specifically as somebody who's very interested in mantras and and singing can you tell us just a little bit about you and your chanting and and explain a little about your mission yeah, I'm originally from Australia, and um, actually I was living in um, quite a remote part of Australia for 10 years. I was unplugged in some ways from the from the system. I lived uh, in a remote community. The people, we were experimenting with diet, uh, like raw food, and uh, mm-hmm. practicing yoga, meditating, community healthy living and also yeah unplugged from tv radio even electricity as a way to for me it was a way to reconnect to nature to try and find a new way i could see that our our society and our um culture was in some kind of dysfunction and and so i was uh reverting to or turning to nature to try and find my true nature and then in some ways find some way I could help or share with people to help help us find a way forward. And um yeah, mantras was sort of ended up being that uh that tool, I suppose. How did were you already connected to mantras at the time? Yeah, I was, but in a really light way. I had I traveled to India, and I had learnt a mantra there, just one, and mm-hmm. and I was playing that quite a lot. And then at some point, when we were on our community, somebody gave me a cassette tape. That was before CD, <laughs> before uh, no, it wasn't before CDs, but yeah, someone gave me a cassette tape, and I played that in my car. It was it was a recording of of a chanting session in India that someone was traveling and they just put their recorder in the middle of the circle. And I was listening to that all the time and I didn't really think much about it. I just just loved it. For some reason, I just kept playing it again and again. But it wasn't really until the year 2000 when I was at a rainbow gathering, which is uh, some of some of you may have heard of rainbow gatherings, but uh, it's a gathering where people live in nature 
and disconnect from all electronical devices and money and just cars and everything and just go and connect to nature and and basically share. I was at a rainbow gathering and I stumbled across or I, I heard in the distance this uh, song and it just drew me like a magnet and it was actually the Gayatri mantra. Mm, I love that mantra. And I, I was, uh, there was actually music everywhere and people everywhere. It was like 2,000 people at this gathering in Australia in the year 2000. And I just mesmerized, heard this sound and walked towards it and found a group of people sitting in a circle chanting the Gayatri mantra. And I literally fell to my knees and joined them. You know, I was just blown away by this song and the fact that they were sitting in a circle. And I'd been a musician for, at that time, I think over 15 years or so. I'd been a musician since I was 21 years old. And I think at that time I was uh, in my 30s. And so a couple of times my music had taken off and I started to perform and get a, a manager and ended up in places where people were drinking alcohol and just wanting to hear songs that they were familiar with. And and I just turned away from the music industry kind of with this dissatisfied feeling that there was something more that I wanted to share. And even though my own songwriting was becoming successful within that field, it was more, I think, the drinking and the type of attention that they were giving. I wanted uh, more focus. I wanted something deeper, but I didn't know what it was. And even though mantras were there, I I hadn't really discovered the power of it because I think I hadn't really created that space and it wasn't being created. So I, yeah, I think when I saw that at the Rainbow Gathering, it was the penny dropped and I, I realized that's what I was looking for. That's what I was searching for in music. And then when I started to, but that was more for myself. And then when I started to share that and then take that, that medicine home with me. And I think one day I just, I was really curious about mantras. And I thought, what happens if, uh, if I just sat with a mantra and just chanted and didn't stop? And so hmm. I was alone. My family were there, but they were asleep and it was early in the morning and I just sat and the sun was shining and nature all around me. And I just chanted a Buddhist mantra and just kept going and going and going and just watching my mind, aware of its uh, distractions, aware of its worries and fears and thoughts coming up. And then I just kept going and going and something happened that really it was like a, a veil lifted. and the normal everyday things, just to look down and see the ants carrying a, a fly going past me just brought me to tears. And mm. I realized that I was existing in a world that, that I was blind to because I was seeing it in my own prefabricated way. And, and I realized at that point that this is something I, I need to share this experience. I need to go here to this place with others. This is something that can really benefit us to remember what what we are and, and where we are. And uh, yeah, that was that was kind of a, a turning point. And then leaving that community, going out into the world and sharing that with groups of people became a passion. And uh, mm -hmm. I took it from the remote part of Australia. I took it then to, it coincided with my daughter growing up and needing to go to school. So we went to a, a place where there was a Steiner school and, and I could then start to share the music in Byron Bay, which is kind of the alternative hub of Australia. Mm -hmm. I did that for seven years, just on donation. It just grew from people's living rooms and then got too big for that, went into halls and eventually came too big for the halls and <laughs> we recorded a, an album with the whole community and that was my first album and um after creating that with the blessings of everyone it was time to to take it abroad and um the invitation came and uh 
and off I went. And to their uh, surprise, I never came back. <laughs> <laughs> so you, and this is an incredible story. You, you basically, you were a successful musician and you had gotten maybe tired of the, the environment of the drinking and you, there was something more. And then you had come across the Gayatri mantra and something profoundly shifted within you, almost like an inner nudge, it sounds like. And then how you said you started chanting a Buddhist mantra. And then that mantra, there's something that, sh- that really shifted the way you were perceiving the world, something that was already there, but you weren't aware of. And you're able to see maybe from a different set of eyes. And, uh, and that kind of led you into a whole new path and way you wanted to express yourself. Is that somewhat accurate and yeah. how I'm reflecting back. Yeah. And how, when you started chanting that mantra over and over again, was that something that happened like overnight or was it weeks or years or what was that transformational process for you like? Do you mean uh, the Buddhist mantra? No, that was just one, one session. No, I just, really? yeah, yeah. I just kept going. I think maybe I, I was chanting for that one mantra for about an, an hour or so before the transformation took place, but um, yeah, no, it's it's possible in one session. Is <laughs> for those interested, are, are you open to sharing what the mantra was? Yeah, it's uh, it's it goes Om Namo Amitabhaya Buddhaya Dharmaya Sangaya, mm. and um, it's the story of the the Buddha the Buddha's journey. I know the the um, translation from japan actually i was i didn't really know much about that mantra when i was chanting it other than i had learned it at the rainbow gathering uh, and then i went to japan and i was in a temple there and i saw this artistry across the walls of the of the temple and i was really like i just couldn't stop looking at it and i asked the monk to interpret it for me and he said oh that's that's amida which is their 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 version of the same same person? Amida is Amida. Yeah, it's funny how the mantras change as they travel uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he he walks across the the ocean of samsara, uh, looking back and being encouraged by the the old people and the women, and then he's looking over and seeing the men fighting in wars and all the you know different symbology of greed and and materialist uh ways and people like exchanging money and stuff like that and and then he just he keeps walking and then arrives at the gates of heaven and um and decides that he won't walk through until every soul passes through so he stands at the gates of heaven and calls us calls us home and so that uh that really touched me Mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing that you mentioned that mantra that the my last guest who was a buddhist he mentioned that mantra as well and there's something about it it's ever since i heard that mantra i was captivated myself and something deep within shifts when i I chant that, and it, do you sing that much in in uh, in groups in your concerts and in your gatherings? Not so much. I think because it was one of the first mantras that I was sharing, they they tend to wear out after a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I I do turn back to it. But um, yeah, just talking about it now, I just uh, I just see my first reaction was I need to share this. I need to 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 call the others to to come and have this experience, which is really what that mantra is about. It's having that taste of heaven. They're chanting it. My first reaction was, how can I, how can I bring my family, my friends, my community, uh, the seekers around the world, you know, the people who are who are wanting this this paradise. How can I bring them here? And um, yeah, I think it's in our nature, really, to 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 not be selfishly seeking our own enlightenment but to to find some way that we can serve the whole uh to to bring that 
that freedom and that beauty to all. I don't think we need morals or any kind of religious teachings to bring us around to that. I think it's our nature because that 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 stemmed naturally from my heart and that point. Like I really want to share this. I really want to. I, I didn't have the feeling of like, oh, I want to go there myself only. Right. Right. Yeah. If you experience joy and a sense of beauty and you you naturally want to share that with others or connect everyone with yeah, that. Yeah, it just grows like that. So how are you, when you travel, does your family travel with you? You're, you said you have a daughter and... Yeah, I have a daughter. She, um, it, it's an interesting story. When I, when I moved to, uh, off that community, I also separated with her mother, but we, we separated in a beautiful way. It was just time for us to, to walk our own paths and, uh, we we chose to stay as family, and um, I remember um, sitting with my daughter, and you know she grew up eating raw foods, and she'd never eaten out of a packet, or she'd never seen um, TV, or I think she she'd only seen one movie in her life. <laughs> so I was introducing to her a new world that she was going to be exposed to. And um, and I was telling her that uh, she would get sucked into that world, and she was she was like shaking her head, saying, "No, Daddy, no, Daddy." And I said, "Yes, <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> you're going to taste that food, and it's full of sugar, and then things that they they make it so it tastes so good, but it'll eventually destroy your your taste for avocados and and jackfruit." And she's like, "No, Daddy." And I'm like, yes, it will. <laughs> and the screens will, will have characters on there that will make your friends seem dull and <laughs> and boring. And they'll, they'll appear as uh, amazing characters. And you'll start to, to think that, that the, the birds and the, the nature isn't, isn't as uh, spectacular as it, as, it, as it was. You know, that there'll, there'll be another world on the, on the screens that, will start to re- to pull you in and, and replace it. And she's like, no, daddy. And I said, yes, you will. <laughs> mm. And uh, But I said, but while that happens, I will create a life for the two of us and we'll live our dreams and travel the world. And, uh, mm. and the funny thing is that when we went to Byron Bay, we forgot that. I mean, it was just we didn't think another thing about that. But um, when she was at school, she sure enough got sucked into all that stuff. Sure. And she became unreachable. And even though I would come back from traveling, it was it was hard to spend time with her. And she was always wanting to be with her friends. And, and so I was out um, building that life, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. at the time I, I was sharing the music. And it came to a point where she got into... Uh, into drugs, mm-hmm. just marijuana in the beginning, and then uh, later on, uh, I didn't know about it, but it was there was some heavier stuff, and she she had a boyfriend that seemed to be, to us to be quite a, a nice guy. We were quite happy in the beginning, but turned out it wasn't such a great a great influence on her, and things got worse and worse and worse. And uh, I was I was warning her, but. Um, she couldn't. She couldn't hear hear us anymore. And um, then the father's worst nightmare. I was in another part of the world. I was in Bali, and and um, she ended up in hospital. And so I I called her and said, uh, "The invitation's still there. Like, come and get out of there, and come and come and be with me." And um, so then I just chanted. And I had a mantra, mm. Om Namah Shivaya, and I, I sung that mantra. Why did you choose that mantra? Because I felt that it was her illusions that were keeping her prisoner, not this guy. And um, I'd heard she'd gone back to him, and she, her mother told me that she, she saw bruises and there was something, mm. some violence going on there. And so... Um, I chanted with the tears 
flowing all day. And every time I thought of her, I just kept that mantra and just sent it to her. And then I was invited to a puja that night and and I just thought, well, this is this is destiny. I'll go to the puja as well. Maybe I can keep chanting because they chant there as well. And um, as I went to the puja, when I was throwing the offerings to the fire, I I just kept saying, Shinte, find your find your destiny, find your path. Mm. Remember why you're here. Just I didn't focus on the problem. I focused on what I wanted for her. And mm. um, and then the next morning, I woke up and the phone rang, and she said, "Daddy, I'm coming." And, <laughs> and I got her on the next flight. She escaped and she came and she arrived and um, she traveled the world with me for three years and my whole network of friends watched her unfold from and transform from being in this world of people who are into healthy food, people who have unplugged from the system or are changing it, change makers, yogis, and just a, a whole a bunch of beautiful friends that I've made around the world, just helping her. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really inspiring. And the first place I took her to after Bali was Hawaii. And, uh, we was there and, and I was about to do a, a gig. And I said, I said to her, Shente, maybe you should, uh, learn a song. Hmm. And we were, I was teaching her this, this song to play on harmonium. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the song? It was um, Jaya Sitaram. It was a, a version of Jaya Sitaram. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was teaching her, both of us looked at each other and we were transported back to sitting by the river in in Cairns eating a, a jackfruit. And I was telling her the story. And we realized. <laughs> that we were on a journey together. Wow. And uh, so she played harmonium and, yeah, we we went to the Grand Canyon. I did a chanting retreat down the Grand Canyon. I took her to Scandinavia. We went to Japan, traveled through remote parts of Japan, chanting, planting seeds of mantras. We went to Europe and did big circles with hundreds of people. and. Uh, after three years, she said, Daddy, I'm ready. I can stand on my own two feet now. And she went back to Australia, and now she's, uh, she's definitely standing on her own two feet. I'm so proud of her, and she's yeah, living a wonderful life and eats healthy. She's a vegan. She practices yoga. She, uh, she has a new, a new group of friends. and recently a boyfriend and yeah i feel that the the world of mantras and the and the but also the, the consciousness in the communities that that, sure. that that those um those mantras circulate in is uh, yes that's an incredible story and i mean there's even metaphorically that story is is incredible from going to, from a literal eden to taking the bite of the, the metaphorical apple exactly. and to the world of duality and then saved by family and, and something that's, when we all feel lost, it's like, what do we have to anchor us? What is there to help us have hope and connection when we have nowhere else to turn or our ha- habits and, and patterns have, for the worst, kind of gotten the hold of our mind and it's that spirit, it's different for everybody, but it sounds I'm very curious and I love these stories in terms of the role of music, the role of, of mantra, the world, the role of the circle mm. and, and community and which is what you seem to embody then that story embodies. And it, I'm happy to hear your daughter sounds like she's doing well now. Yeah. She's doing really well. Yeah. Does music and mantra still play a role in her life? Yes, it does. She, I think when she came back home, she already had just through social media sparked uh, an interest from other um, people her own age 
um, some of the some of the people in that area were grown up in the in that same you know similar parents so they they connected with her and you know, I think she moved into a house with some of the kids that were came from the Krishna movement and she she was going to start a band with them but she she sort of recognized that that wasn't her path and so she she's doing her own thing and um and I really honor that encourage that in her too that we that we uh we're not all meant to be musicians we're we all have our own destinies indeed indeed well when i first when i heard you being described at one point as traveling the world in the spirit of oneness and freedom and going where the heart goes uh, it's a beautiful poetic description and i was hoping you could talk a little bit about the path of the heart and specifically the path of, of devotion mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of the things I feel from my experience is that you really need to have a lot of faith to follow the heart. I quite often get questions like, oh, well, uh, how I live my life, like uh, where's your home base and where do you travel? A lot of the questions are based on patterns and and what I find with the heart uh, path is that there's it doesn't need a pattern. It actually works with randomness. It appears to be random, and mm. it's already home in itself. And so, I think when you really follow the heart, you can actually start to sink into and nestle into the unknown, and then you can let go of patterns like. Uh, the concepts of um, like work and holidays or uh, this is my home, that, mm-hmm. that uh, you can actually start to redefine things that we are conditioned to, to believe as necessary for us to, to feel complete. And uh, things like the concept of home, since I, I didn't uh, immediately let go of my home, I still had a home in Australia. And um, I would come back, but I think it took about three or four years where I would come back to Australia and then the invitations were still coming in other parts of the world. So I would go again and then my intuition just said, go home and sell everything, get rid of everything. So Mm. I couldn't ignore it. It just kept coming. So I did that and it it was amazing because it was a really natural perfect divine flow when i came back it was just uh, everything just dispersed itself so so beautifully things that i'd held precious and and sort of kept for myself it was like when i offered it to the world the right people came who really valued those things and i was able to share it and give it away or sell it or whatever and it was amazing to to finish that process and just take off with a suitcase and just feel like this is everything and there's no going back. And I can really, wow. I can really step into the path of the heart now, like follow my heart wherever it takes me. And uh, I loved that feeling. I think it was a childhood dream for me. It's not for everybody. It takes a certain sure. type of person. But yeah, so even my path around the world, and, and I say my path, but now, since the last three years, I met Susanna, my my now wife, and it's our path now. We hmm. beautiful. We travel. She travels with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Right. Yeah, I should say you traveled together. Yes, yeah. and she's learned harmonium as well. So now she plays harmonium with me and helps with everything, the management and all that sort of stuff. You can imagine there's a lot of a lot of planning that goes in into it to make sure that you have uh, accommodation and flights. Absolutely. All that stuff, yeah. Yes. So your your home is literally wherever your heart goes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also now, after 10 years, I being on the road, I, I have places that I've been going back to again and again every year. So I really have a feeling of home when I go back there to Japan or places in Europe and Bali, you know, it's very, all very familiar. Yes. 
old friends yeah. and uh, yeah getting together are there yeah so if you have family all over the world literally that's incredible yeah. and a common question is how for those of us or those listeners that maybe don't have as much experience following their heart and asking how they can trust more with all these fears around paying this and having feeling like bound in a certain way and do you have advice of of how to follow the heart yeah, well, one of the things um, I feel is is letting go of stuff. Like the thing about it might sound difficult, though. You don't have a home, but I also don't have any bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't have any stuff to watch out for, and uh, yeah, and if you don't have a car, then you don't you don't have all the all the stuff that goes on with that. A, a lot of our need for money is to pay for all the stuff we have and i think you know simplifying things i'm not encouraging people to sell their homes or whatever but simplifying things and getting things working for themselves and um, freeing yourself so that you can follow your heart and don't become a slave to all your stuff you know it's you can't take any of that stuff with you and and i mean i was lucky because I had this passion to share the music. And as I traveled, when I first started going away, I'd be away for three months and I'd come back to all my stuff that I thought was important. But then, right. then I, I, would, I would say to myself, well, I was away for three months and I didn't really need that stuff. And then, of course, when I started going away for six months, I'd come back and I'd go, well, I thought that this stuff was important, but I've been at six months and I didn't miss it. So then, <laughs> then when I was away for eight months and, and, and then decided to get rid of it, it was easy because I, I knew that I had spent that time without it and it, it was okay. But and if I hadn't have had that experience, I wouldn't have known that I didn't really need that stuff. Uh, you don't realize, you think that, it, you know, oh, I need that, it's very handy, or, but you don't realize that you can get by without it. And there's always opportunities to to borrow something hire something when you need it and even my concept of of stuff like uh in the past i would say when i own something i would treat it very well and very carefully and look after it but then other people's stuff i didn't treat the same and and now years down the track where i have maximum 30 kilos of stuff I can't have any more because <laughs> I can't take any more. <laughs> but because I'm always hiring cars, because I'm always staying in someone else's house or, or a rented whatever room or bed, I've learned to treat things the same way, to treat a hire car as if it was my own or and to respect things and to do things that doesn't get any acknowledgement. I do it for myself. Uh, I might just uh, clean the floor of the car or, or be it someone else's toilet, but just the bathroom or whatever, and just give it a little wipe down or clean it up or just treat things as if it was your own and without any acknowledgement, but just for yourself, it gives you that feeling of like, it's mine in a different way, not through ownership, but through care. And, and, that, yeah. and that's really the essence of home is it's about, even though we might think home is because I oh well I own it or I belong here or whatever, but actually it, it really comes from inside of us. It's it's a something we create ourselves, and it doesn't need a contract. It doesn't need something external for that. It's more uh, coming from within. And uh, I've learned through not having a solid community around me of of really you know close friends and not having my own uh, in a steady uh, environment or home, you know, you know, living in a, a transient uh, world where I'm in an ocean of faces and uh, an ocean of different scenes and different things. I've learned to find or create for myself that feeling of um, connectedness and belonging and um, ownership uh, in a different way that um, it's actually uh, it's freeing me because I can, I can do that anywhere uh, and I take it with me everywhere so I can be in a strange place but still feel like I belong 
And I think that's yes. that's what I learned uh, from the Aboriginal people of Australia. I was chanting, uh, traveling the world, and I still felt that there was something missing. I, I had this question, why is it that we feel so connected after chanting and there's this feeling of home, there's this feel like when when we finish chanting, nobody wants to leave. You know, it, <laughs> it, we literally, I always would say that you could judge how well the circle goes by how long people stick around because they don't want to leave the energy that we've created because it's a feeling of home, it's a feeling of belonging, it's a feeling of community. And, um, but I, I had the question, why does it only last for a few days and then kind of wear off? I mean, maybe a really strong circle, it might last maximum for five days or a week, but then you're back to normal again. <laughs> right, and, right. And, um, and I thought, well, I can't, I don't want to be just creating something that we're dependent on, that we have to keep doing. Why can't we sure. find something that, that really that we can exist in and take everywhere that's not dependent on anything. And it wasn't until I met an Aboriginal elder from Uluru, which is Ayers Rock, the, the central pillar of Australia, where all the song lines, all the energy lines meet in this one giant tooth that goes into the centre of Australia. It's a, I think it's the largest freestanding stone on the planet. And uh, it's the it's the sacred mecca of Aboriginal people. And this this uh, elder, he was from that tribe of people that lived on that land. And he introduced to me the concept of kanini, which means, in a, in simple terms, it means connection. And mm-hmm. that was their god. That was their religion. It wasn't based on an external god or it wasn't based on worshipping something outside of yourself. It was about feeling connected. And, wow. and he showed me that there's four principles that they have divided that connection into. Chukurpa, your uh, ancestry, your dreaming. In other words, where have you come from and what, what is the dream that you embodied I came from my father and mother genetically, but what dream did they carry and where did that come from? Gurunpa, your spirit, your soul, where do I have a connection to that as well? So am I connected to my ancestry? Am I connected to my spirit, my soul through ceremony, through dance, through practices, through song? Now I had that, I had that one in place. Mm-hmm. Right. I mm-hmm. didn't have my ancestry or my dreaming in place. And then the next one is Kurunpa. It's the first one. Kurunpa, Chukurpa, Kurunpa, Walcha. Walcha in Aboriginal, in that language, there's 300 Aboriginal languages, but uh, in that language it means your kinship, your family, your friends, the people that surround you. Are you feeling connected to those? And then mm. the last one, Gura, the land. and The land. The land. He said, you need to feel this connection in what he called unconditional love. In other words, he said, you need to feel that you belong to the land and the land belongs to you. Not just the land belongs to you. You belong to the land. And he said, mm. the people are, the people you need to feel that you love them and they love you. And he said that it's not just the people that you decide are your friends. It's the people that are you are spending your day with, or that the people who, who surround you. I thought to myself, how do I do that at the airport? How do I do 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 that? How do I make it practical? How do I do that in the queue when everybody doesn't want to be there? How do I do that when when I'm exchanging things and and I know they're trying to rip me off? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And And I realized through the practice of that, I can decide how I see this situation. I can decide. And I realized that, yeah, people suffer. And people get become 
um, more and more even desperate for their ideas of what they think they need. And they'll start to sacrifice their own humanness. But I don't have to do that. Right. I, I know that in my nature, we all love each other because even the most desperate people, eventually, if you spent time with them and helped them out and did something kind for them or whatever, that love would grow and that, and that trust would grow. And, and so I, I just decided to convince myself that to, to acknowledge their nature and to, to deal with the things on the surface uh, as they need to be dealt with, but to, to still feel that that, that that love is there and, that, and to recognize them as spirit and not just the, the physical form. And so, yeah, just putting those, those four aspects in place helps me to feel connected. And through that connection, what he taught me was that you were able to be present. And that was the important thing. I felt that presence in the circle, but I didn't feel it in the marketplace. And yeah. by bringing those four aspects into my consciousness, Am I connected to my dreaming? Am I connected to my spirit? Am I connected to these people around me? And am I also connected to the land? So I can be at the airport and standing there with the customs interrogating me because my passport's full of stamps and there's no working Mm -hmm. visas and there's no, you haven't been home in 10 years. And I feel that I belong and I feel there's my brother there talking to yeah. me and they let me through because they can feel that I'm completely relaxed. I don't care what they do. Yeah, that's freedom. That's such a deep teaching. Thank you for sharing that. That brings up so many, so many thoughts and ways to think about connection. Cause you're right. So many of us are yearning when we feel separate. We want people are yearning for that joy, that connection, that that piece of it but when we don't feel it it's like how do we get back there what's what's missing or and what you're really saying is it's always available to us it's a it's a mindset it's a mind shift and how can we i don't know if you've come across the course in miracles but it's a part of that book that says at any given moment anybody's either expressing love or they're calling for love Mm -hmm. and the only appropriate response is love you know, so you could also say they're either calling for, they're either expressing connection or calling for a connection. The only appropriate response is to connect, right? We're, we're, we're all of it. Mm. And that's such, it's so, it's really beautiful teaching um, that you shared and that the, the teacher, what was his name? The, the Aborigine teacher? Did he have a name? Yeah, Uncle Bob Randall. Yeah, he's, he's since passed mm. away. But um, mm-hmm. I, I wrote a song and which I wove to, through that song, His Prayer. Oh. So he, he created a documentary called Kanyini, and you can look it up on YouTube. Kanyini. Okay. Kanyini is spelt exactly like it sounds, with a K, Kanyini. And um, his name is Uncle Bob Randall. And, um, yeah, he passed away last year. I was so touched by his sharing that I, yeah, I was, I was asked to go on tour with him and I couldn't make it because I was pre-booked overseas. And so all I could do was write this song and, uh, it just flowed so, so naturally. And there's a, uh, if you look on YouTube, Kevin James, Canyini, you can see the video that I made and he's on there and actually he, he says his prayer and yeah, it was it was a video that was created by myself and two other friends uh, in Bali, and we gave it to him, gave that song to him. And uh, I, mm-hmm. when I came across his, when I learned about his teachings, it was more coming from a place of uh, they were showing that we, the white people, took away their canyon, we took away their connection, and that's what destroyed their culture, which is true. And I said to him, I can't sing about that because I come from that lineage of, of the white people, even though I wasn't directly involved or either, either was my, my bloodline, I suppose. But I said, the only way I can share this is, is to come from my perspective, which is 
we all need to pray for the Kenyan to return because I believe that my white ancestors had lost the Kenyan so long ago that they'd even forgotten what they had lost. And right. they by default took it away because that's the only way they knew. And it's interesting because he said to me, if you take away one of those as- four aspects of Kenyini, you start to go a little bit insane. Mm-hmm. If you take away two, you become more insane. And take away three, you start becoming dysfunctional and insane. And if you take away four aspects, all four, you become a lost soul. Mm. And uh, you can see that on Aboriginal communities. There's people walking around sniffing petrol or anything they can get their hands on, and they're, they're literally lost souls. But I also saw how we, we have that element of insanity and dysfunction. And also, if you go into some places and see people who are really messed up on drugs and alcohol and things like that, if we're starting to learn that the reason people get into those states is is actually because of disconnection. And uh, the word connection is starting to surface more and more in the healing and uh, and new age and even uh, in, in modern the medicine field. Yes. Uh, people starting to realize we need to feel connected to be present. And if we feel disconnected, we start looking outside of ourselves for that connection and it takes us further away from ourselves. And mm-hmm. so to be present and in the moment, and I've always said you can do workshops, you can you can even go to chanting and keep doing that, but until you really get those four aspects in place, you'll always be needy, you'll always be wanting. And that's the foundation of the ego consciousness is, is built on want. When we become free from want, we become free from our conceptual self just so effortlessly and so naturally and I experience that a lot in the in the circles, that freedom from want, and I share that with people, but I always say use this experience and go back into your life and find ways to feel this connection as much as you can. So that that's that's very inspirational. And do you feel like is is that the driving is that your mission, would you say, if you had to encapsulate what what's driving you right now to to share these songs and music and is you've shared a lot. Is that, is that the essence of it? It is. Yeah. And it's not, it's not about just chanting mantras. The, the, the chanting of mantras is by far the most powerful tool that I found that I can gather with a, a group of strangers and change the energetic field and, and shift the consciousness within the space of two hours to give that experience Mm -hmm. and to whether or not they take that experience and do something with it or not in that moment, there's a, there's something that's changed. And that's the, the world that I want to live in. That's the world I want to return to in future lives or, or offer to my, my grandchildren. And even though it, it might seem that it's only happening for that two hours and then it's gone, well, at least we're creating it. At least we're doing, if that's all that there is, then it's better than not doing it. Indeed. Uh, my mother, I, I've shared this story with a lot of people because it's, it's a really beautiful story. I came home from a protest as a, as a young, you know, like a teenager, uh, wanting to wanting to make a change, and uh, I was protesting against the logging of trees, and I got in in, in the way of the loggers and got dragged through the mud and, and beaten up a little and came home, and my mother saw me and she said, what happened? And I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to save the, the trees, Mum. I'm trying to make a better world. We're losing our forests too fast and she said she looked at me and she she said why are you fighting the mirror son Mm -hmm. 
if you want to create a positive change in this world, just do something so beautiful that other people want to be a part of it. Mm, that that's beautiful, yeah. and you are doing just that. Yeah, and I and that wisdom allows me to look at the politicians and look at the the corporate people and look at the all of those people that are involved in the dysfunction of of our of our race of our our species i would say and and not to separate myself from them at all but to to see them as playing a part in something that i can't really understand and i and i can't also judge as being right or wrong but to see myself as as playing my part in what my heart is telling me to do yes and and to not get involved in things that that i feel my heart is telling is not agreeing with or not not feeling it's just like i see the 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 arguments of environmental issues or political issues or the governmental decisions and things that people are doing that are just seem completely wrong and just like not getting involved because I don't, right. I don't feel well, it. It, it and if i had if my heart was telling me to to get involved in that to do it from a connected way not to do it from a reactive way from a, a way that separates me from those as i'm right and they're wrong but uh, to do it from from a connected way that I'm just really just acting out the dance of my heart. And I still think there is place for people who, who get involved in, in political issues or, or environmental issues or whatever, but to do it in a way that's acting, not reacting. And I think yes. that foundation in, in mantra has helped me to do that because it's even uh, one of my latest songs is It Was Perfect. It will be perfect because it is perfect in the perfection of this heart. And that's, that's the message I share is we need to accept the world. We need to accept ourselves because acceptance and love are the same things. And love is what connects us. And when we can love what is, we connect to what is. When we connect to what is, only then can we play our part. And that's what each one of us is doing. We're playing a part of a whole. Just like I want my finger to play its part. I don't want my finger to be driving the ship or mm-hmm. you know, my big toe. But it has an important role to play. We're, we're all in the body of humanity. Yes. You know, and it feels so much of what you're saying is, and what your mom was really indicating was, it feels so much better to be for something than against something. Absolutely, yeah. And if we can figure out what what it is that that our heart wants to express, and, and if we're using that language, what we're here to do and, and the context of connection, the world can't help but reflect that on the uh, the outer expression of of what we're feeling on the inside and through these types of groups and and singing and just day-to-day interactions i really love your message and it was funny when i have you heard of the radiant sutras no no yeah it's um there's this it's basically um tantra yoga teachings for opening to the divine in everyday life there was um an authored by lauren roach and I opened up my my version, and uh, it's basically little sutra poems. And when I, I just opened one right before I talked, uh, was calling you this morning or this afternoon. And uh, this is what I opened up to, and it spoke because you it spoke to me, and I just wanted to share it with you and get your thoughts on it before we round out our talk here. The one who is at play everywhere says, "There's a space in the heart where everything meets." Come here if you want to find me. Mind, senses, soul, eternity, all are here. Are you here? Enter the bowl of vastness that is the heart. Listen to the song that is always resonating. 
Give yourself to it with total abandon. Quiet ecstasy is here, and a steady, regal sense of resting in a perfect spot. You who are the embodiment of blessing, once you know the way, the nature of attention will call you to return. Again and again, answer that call and be saturated with knowing, I belong here. I am at home. <laughs> I can't imagine a more perfect yeah. sutra to basically give an overview of what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you could have just said that in the beginning, actually. We could have talked about something else. <laughs> well, that's probably what God said in the beginning. It's just, it's all story. We have to have our story, right? This whole <laughs> divine Leela. <laughs> yeah, we learn, we learn from each other so much. And uh, I started to, uh, to realize that just from experience that people were learning or people were uh, not so much learning, but influenced a lot by the way I lived just as much as what I was sharing through the mantras and the chanting moving through uh different circles around the world you know going to different countries where they speak different languages and there's different communities and I was being invited by the the change makers the ones who yeah, I wanted to make a difference, wanted to had perhaps to come to some other part of the world or had somehow seen my music and what I was sharing and felt that this is something that they wanted to bring into their community and inviting me along and to meet those people and to stay with them and to just to to be to be with them and to to realize that the way that I was living and the the way that I was eating, the way that I was thinking was was affecting them as well. And they were they were also sharing that. And so you really I, I saw myself as someone who was actually bringing culture around the world and it, it was bringing it in a way that was not it wasn't threatening because it wasn't I wasn't bringing a culture with me uh, mm-hmm. from another culture. I was bringing something new and it's because it was universal because I didn't belong. I didn't come from a lineage. I didn't come from uh, any particular religion, even though I sing a lot of Sanskrit mantras. I don't, I'm not a Hindu. I don't, I don't call what I do Kirtan and I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't come only from that tradition. It's just one of the big influences because we were, we, Australia is, as a, a, a sort of a close tie with India, um, with the alternative movement there, we all went to India because it was so close. But yeah, I also also uh, was sharing uh, Aboriginal chants and a- Aboriginal wisdom. I was sharing uh, even Amer- American Indian chants and Buddhist chants, and I, I like Hebrew mantras. And uh, so mm. there was a, a universal feel there that. I was basically sharing with the different cultures around the world, keep your religion, keep your culture, keep your your ancient mantras and teachings and and bring also the others together. And it's, it's time for us to become universal, to embrace the world and to embrace all the other religions as one and but to keep our own flavor and... Uh, and that's what I've been also encouraging people to do is to is to like dig into your own culture, dig into your own roots and see what's there. And maybe you can bring it forward in your own way. In other words, maybe those old mantras that you heard as a child that you think are boring, that you think are just normal, maybe you could dust them off and recreate them in your own way and, mm-hmm. and share that with the world. Not uh, maybe not so interesting to your own people, like maybe uh, you know the, the <laughs> Japanese people hear their old mantras and they're like, "Oh yeah, we want to sing Sanskrit mantras." But I've uh, been encouraging them to no, like we in the West would like to hear your mantras, <laughs> and so right. So I'm kind of like trying to share that message with the world. Let's all share our lineage and our history, and also let's 
weave together what we love from our exposure to the, the whole world as well. And that, that's, that's why uh, it's, it's, uh, I use the word heart songs because I don't want to confine what I'm sharing to any particular box, I suppose. I think we, mm-hmm. we, I'm hoping to sort of like acknowledge that there's a new universal movement happening that's open, creative, and can't really be defined. And my music doesn't have a genre and, and I, d- I don't worry about that, you know, but it's, it's, it'll slowly create itself. Well, whatever we want to call it, it is, I feel like it's very powerful and you've, people feel the energy and the, the joy and the connection that, that you bring and that's held within that space. And I think I say a heartfelt thank you for many, many thousands of people for following your heart path and sharing your heart songs. And it's, it's really beautiful, inspiring. Thank you, Gio. And, and thank you for what you're creating. I see that just in what I read in, in your mission, and I can see that you're coming from the same place. And it's, uh, it's really, it was a, a nice uh, sigh of relief when I read uh, the motives that you have and the intention for, for what you're creating here. And yeah, thank you to all the listeners that are tuned, have tuned into this. And, um, and I hope you feel inspired to follow your heart and, uh, and allow it to, um, to dance with your mind and, what we call, what you call you, which is something that is an unfolding uh, exploration. And the more we can dance with our heart, then the more that we can follow, follow it and um, weave it into our, into our walk and our talk and our actions and our choices, you know, um, the more extraordinary our lives will become and the more blessed the world will become for, uh, mm. for ourselves and what I've noticed is that when we do follow the heart, everybody's lifted. It's not just for you. Mm-hmm. It's for all. Mm-hmm. And its intention is for all to rise and for all to be benefited. Amen. Beautifully stated. And if it, for the, I know you have a website and I know you have a few retreats next year. And for those that want to follow you and for listeners that are new to, to, to you and your music, how can they support you and how can they keep up with what you're doing? Kevin James Heart Songs will um, take you to a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube and, and a website and Facebook page and Patreon is there as well. I've got retreats happening in, in Ladakh and Corfu and not much happening in America. I've, I've sort of cultivated a, a pretty big garden already on this side of the planet. Um, <laughs> and it's enough for me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> keep me busy. Um, we'll come. We'll come to you. <laughs> yeah, come over to Europe. <laughs> it's wonderful. But um, yeah, yeah, you can easily stay connected with me uh, and find find me. I have an email list and everything on the website and stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. And I really do feel a brothership with you. And from my, I'm, I'm a left-handed guitarist, as as I believe you are. Correct. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, ha- I'm actually having a, uh, my first chanting circle, heart song chanting circle teacher training in Bali in oh. in March, and I'm sharing every wow. I'm sharing twenty years of experience just to encourage other people to, to who want to walk this path, and I'm also sharing all about the touring and the and yes. how to how I sort of transformed a, a hobby, a sort of a spiritual practice into a in a, a functioning sort of lifestyle and, and conscious business. So that sounds incredible in that in following a similar path. Yeah. Come to Bali in, in March and yeah, I've got a, a training course. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin. You take care, sending you much, much love and appreciation. Yeah. Much love to you too. Okay. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. If you are enjoying the podcasts, click subscribe. To access other episodes, more interviews and music, please visit our website at www. 
www.mantrasandmusic.com. That's www.mantrasandmusic.com. Join us next Thursday for the release of our newest episode. Thanks again for your support. See you next week. If you are interested in all the benefits of performing your own 40-day mantra discipline, then be sure to visit the podcast webpage at mantrasandmusic.com and sign up for Geo's premier online training course titled Ultimate Chance Mantra Meditation Course, offering valuable guidance for anyone wanting to increase abundance, enhance health, overcome obstacles, reduce stress, gain clarity, and advance personal goals. You will be guided step-by-step by by Geo to complete a 40-day powerful practice of mantra in a clear, fun, and easy-to-follow program.